Welcome to the Leadership Journey Podcast. I'm Kelly McCauley, president of McCauley & Company, where we help good leaders become great through high-impact leadership coaching that delivers measurable results. Today, our esteemed guest is Marty Nackamson, founding principal and managing partner of Prosperian Wealth Management. Marty is renowned for building an extraordinary sales team in an unconventional way. Marty, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Kelly. Good to see you again. During the past six years, Prosperian has grown from a team of four to a team of 19, responsible for keeping the Prosperian promise of custom financial plans that achieve client goals throughout generations. Including in 2021 alone, they protected their clients with 788 million in life insurance and brought in 100 million in new assets under management. With 99.8% client retention, their clients and heirs are voting a resounding yes to the Prosperian team model. Marty, let's start with what had you commit to the team model and how long have you been on this journey? Well, I would say that I've probably been inquisitive in the journey for probably since the early 2000s, but I didn't really start to embark on it in a meaningful way until probably the end of 2016, when I started really, you know, when it, when the, all the concepts and ideas started gelling for me. There was no one great epiphany. There were a, probably a couple of things that sort of contributed to me wanting to create a team, and not the least of which was that as my business grew, it was becoming very aware that I was, didn't have the capacity to service all the clients that I was bringing in. I think that I read someplace that a human being cannot actually manage more than about 80 or 90 relationships. And so once you get to that critical mass, you are no longer fulfilling on your obligations. There are people that are not going to get the appropriate care and attention just because you don't have the capacity to do so. And so that I think was the first sort of domino that fell that sort of made me realize that I needed a team structure. I was going to say, you talked to me about one of the goals was to eliminate prospecting. <laughs> yeah, I guess we get a little bit further ahead of ourselves. The model that we have created in terms of the planning model that we've created is one in where no stone is left unturned. And so um, there are very, a personal economy has a lot of complexities to it. You don't have a 401k or a 529 or an insurance policy or a brokerage account or a home or a mortgage. What you actually have is a personal economy and all those things serve to make up the economy. And therefore, our economy is actually a complex organization of assets, liabilities, cash flow and protection vehicles that have to come together in a coordinated and integrated way to appropriately address all of the obligations, all of the opportunities and all the threats that we have in life. That is made all the more challenging by the fact that both of those sets of items are completely dynamic. Assets, liabilities, cash flow, and protection vehicles are changing virtually daily. And once we satisfy an, an obligation, another appears. Once we <laughs> remove a threat, another emerges. And once we capitalize on an opportunity, we're looking for the next. And so the planning model is about making sure that we're complete in the structural integrity of a personal economy. And if you do that, then what you're really doing is you're delivering value. And once you deliver value, 
money seeks out value. Mm -hmm. And so, and I mean that sort of in two ways, that we don't get paid until the client takes action, which means that they've agreed to the value. And where value is, money will find it. And so we've done analytics, and I would say that anywhere between 50 to 75% of our new clients come from unsolicited introductions. And so delivering value, but really understanding what value is, is the key to eliminating prospecting. I never wanted to be a better prospector. I wanted to eliminate prospecting. <laughs> right. Well, and as you talk about that and the complexity of the personal economy, and you're sitting there saying, how, if I can only meet with or have relationships with 80 people, the only way to do that was to create a team. Right. So I was bringing in more people than I can handle. And like I said, you just sort of naturally gravitate away from certain folks. And so I did not want the people that sort of brought me to the dance to not be tended to. And so I had this idea of starting a team. But let me digress for a second. What I also noticed was that the recruiting training and retention model that was employed by the financial services business was really archaic. It was a thing of the past. And, and somehow they started celebrating the fact that we had 30% retention, which was really code for 70% failure. And so the idea that you could go from, you know, 25% retention to 30% retention actually boxed out the possibility that you could have 90% retention, that you could actually be 90% successful as opposed to 25 or 30% successful. And I think that the fundamental difference is that when we bring people into the financial services business under its current model, we actually throw them to the wolves really from day one. Like who are the hundred people that you can contact? And then we hitch their wagon to somebody who is not out there doing what they're training people to do on a daily basis. And so it stands to reason that there would be a 70%, 80% failure rate. And so what I decided was that there was something out there that I discovered that was called a protege model, which is really the modern version of an apprenticeship model. If you look back into like old times, craftsmen would have apprentices. And what I decided to do was instead of putting an obligation on them to bring in business, I put an obligation on them to learn. And so I literally pay people to learn for the first year or two. I bring in a new advisor and their sole purpose in life is to be my shadow and to sit in on my conversations, take notes, and then everything that has to occur between meetings, they're responsible for making sure that it occurs. And so they're exposed to conversations that would otherwise take them 10, 15 years to be exposed to. And they're getting training from a seasoned professional as, as opposed to somebody that's not necessarily doing it every day, and their likelihood of success is far greater. And they do that anywhere from a low of about a year to a high of about two and a half years before I say, okay, now let's think about who are the top 100 people that you can contact. And by that time, they've also developed relationships with the clients that I want them to develop relationships with, the people that I've outgrown that are really perfect candidates for them. Well, and just to add to 
kind of the cruelty of, of the, the financial services industry. By the way, they get beaten by the tech industry, which only has a two to three percent retention rate, which stunned me. But 30 percent in the life insurance industry is actually high. The average is between seven and 15 percent. And what I want to give a nod to your model and how effective and successful it's been is you have a 90% retention with your team. So obviously, oh, and by the way, you brought on 10 people in 2021. That's how fast you grew in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. Going into 2017, at the end of 2016, we were four people. And as we sit here today, we're 20 people. And that's, that is a combination of advisors, staff, and protégés, and we've only lost one individual in that five or six year period. And, you know, that is a measure of sort of like the mutual admiration society that we've created here at Prosperian. I mean, I think that everybody is genuinely interested in the success of others. And so it is a sort of all hands on deck kind of model. Right. Well, now you talked about challenges and what were they as you grew the team and how did you overcome them? I mean, just to underscore it, most teams stop not because the person who's leading the team or wanting to create the team stopped wanting that. It was because it got too hard or they couldn't figure out how to solve for the things that weren't working. Right. Well, I'll tell you that the biggest learning curve for me was how to hire properly. I discovered that it was far superior to hire to a value system than to hire to a skill set. We can teach the skills. We can teach economics. We can teach the planning. The value system is harder to come by. And so in the beginning, I was sort of stumbling around a little bit, hiring the wrong people or not being able to settle on a person to hire because something didn't feel right. And then once I realized that you hire to a value system, then we were off and running. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and you probably will get to this eventually, but I think the single most fundamental important thing in creating a team or any organization for that matter is to understand the culture that you're creating. Mm -hmm. Like be firmly grounded in your reason for being. And so at Prosperian, origin of the word wealth actually meant a state of well-being. It had less to do with a balance sheet and more to do with balance. And so if you stop anybody in our organization in the hallway and ask them, what does Prosperian stand for? I'm pretty sure that they're all going to say things like providing a state of well-being, removing worry, providing security and freedom. And I think if a team really buys into that, then the growth and development of the team becomes much easier because everybody pitches in. So the state of well-being is not domain-specific. And what I mean by that is it's not reserved for our clients. It is who we are being in the universe. Yes. And so the state of well-being then is for each other, for our spouses, for the Little League team we coach, for everybody that we're fortunate enough to cross paths with. And so the burden of training does not fall on the shoulders of one or two or three individuals. Everybody participates 
and voluntarily. It's not like I have to ask them to do so because they're all committed to the state of well-being. Well, you know, one of the things we know in in growth and development of people is if you have them teaching, they actually learn it faster and they embrace it more wholeheartedly. And so that's a, that as a strategy is very smart and it accelerates the growth and development of the people that are in your organization. And it makes them feel like they matter. Right. In terms of assessing for, will they fit the culture? Are they the right people for us? How Do you have assessments that you use or how does that work? Yeah, I would say that what happens is, and there, there was this was really prior to 2016. There is a host of people that ended up excusing themselves from the organization, and I find that if people don't buy into the culture, then they excuse themselves from the culture. And once I realized that, then post 2016, when I started hiring to a value system. The idea that we're providing a state of well-being or that we're moving worry or that we are providing security and freedom, it's almost like it's almost like I had a dream where Martin Luther King's dream became everybody's dream. Yeah. Like it they get enrolled in the idea that's what we're providing. And as long as that is constantly who you're being and what you're talking about and you know what the philosophy is and what the conversations are and what the strategies are about. People get enrolled in it and they want to do it. They'll excuse themselves from the organization. You know, years ago, probably definitely pre-pandemic, Zappos would pay people $6,000 to leave the organization if they didn't think they were a fit. Early on in the hire, maybe in the first 30 days, and that was for exactly what you're talking about. If you're not breathing, living this vision and the culture, then move along. <laughs> right. And the other thing is, I would say that there has to be a recognition that every single person in the organization, and I would say the youngest person that we have in our organization is probably 23 years old, but that every single person in the organization is better at something than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to find that thing. And what happens is that they do gain a sense of belonging and they, they want to share their unique abilities. And then all of a sudden, you have a 23-year-old that's participating in training of the next individual, even if they're 33 years old. Yeah. You know, because they know something that everybody else, they're better at something that everybody else than, than everybody else. I mean, that's just the way it is. We all have unique abilities. You touched on this earlier about how you designed the team. Would you say more about what differentiates your team model versus the more familiar team approach? So, yeah, I would say that essentially three things. I say the first thing is that we are firmly grounded in a reason for being. And I don't take that lightly. I want to spread that. I want to make sure that that is contagious. And one of the things that we have done for years and years and years is we have a team meeting on the first and third Wednesday of every month from nine to 10 or nine to 10.30. And one member on the, of the team is randomly selected to lead that team meeting. And they know weeks in advance that when their time is up. And the only charge they are given is to bring something to the team that enables us to be better human beings. After that, they can do whatever they want. Um, 
And so we get white papers, we get TED Talks, we get human interest stories, we get team building exercises. We get a whole host of very creative things where people are participating in making us all better human beings. Mm -hmm. And it becomes contagious. And I will tell you that we never missed a beat all throughout COVID. We did it on Zoom. We figured out a way to do it remotely, but we never, we never missed a beat. And that happens on the first and third Wednesday of the month. And then on every Wednesday of the month, from 12 to like 1.30 is a training session for the advisors. I always have something at the ready, but they are allowed to come in with whatever questions they have. If it's a case, if it's a best practice, questions about anything and an advisor training meeting. And now that we are in this post-COVID world again, I invite the staff into that meeting. They have a choice. They can either attend the meeting or not attend the meeting. It's totally voluntary. If they want to see what the advisors are speaking about, they can come in and attend the meeting. I find a lot of times they defer on attending because they know that the advisors are all going to be a captive audience for an hour and a half. And it's their opportunity to get work done. Uh, so they typically don't attend, but every once in a while they do. But I also make sure I bring in lunch for everybody. So we have everybody in the office on those Wednesdays and we have those team meetings. Uh, the other thing is that we have one process. So the staff isn't managing 10 different business models. Everybody follows the exact same process. And so the, the staff is managing one business and when that's the case, not only is training become easier and easier and easier because the next person can train the next person, but you create scale. Mm. You minimize energy and labor and cost, and you maximize revenue and productivity. Mm. So. Sounds dreamy. <laughs> All right. Well, there have to have been setbacks, right? So how do you stay committed to the vision when you have setbacks? <laughs> yeah, like I said, the biggest setback was obviously learning how to hire. But if training and culture are the sort of the two most important elements, well, COVID really messed you up, mm -hmm. you know, because the remote environment made it very, very difficult to manage training and culture. And so the burden then did fall squarely on the shoulders of the people at the top of the pyramid to really work hard to make sure that we're managing culture and managing training in this remote environment. And I'll give you one simple example of that. Um, and if I would come into the city and I would have a 10 o'clock, a 12 o'clock, a two o'clock and a four o'clock appointment, that would mean that I always had at least 30 to 45 minutes in between appointments. And that was my opportunity to spend quality time with the protege and continually indoctrinate them into the culture. But more importantly, or equally important, was to debrief about the meeting we just had and train them on all the little nuances that might have occurred in that meeting and what the next steps are and all the planning possibilities and also prepare them for the next meeting. And so technology fulfilled on its promise to make us more efficient and what that translated to was people falling out of bed at 7.30 in the morning, landing on their computer and working straight through to 5.30 in the evening. So now instead of having a 10, a 12, a 2, and a 4, I can have an 8, a 9, a 10, an 11, a 12, a 1, a 2. And so the opportunity to train and develop the protege became non-existent. And so 
I had to make sure that everybody understood that we needed to build in that half an hour in between meetings at the very least to continually train the protégés because they're going to be the next advisor and they're going to be working with our clients that we either outgrow or hopefully I'm on a Caribbean island for a month or the flip side of that is I could be in the hospital for a month. And so I want to make sure that they are well-trained to be able to take care of the clients under good scenarios and bad. Mm, yeah. Marty, we're running out of time here, which I know we could go on for much longer. Thank you so much for sharing your generous wisdom on what it takes to build a high-performing true team that delivers impact and results to all of your stakeholders. What would it mean to you if you could build teams with incredible loyalty, commitment to excellence, and low turnover like Prosperian Wealth Management? And P.S., does 98% client retention appeal to you? You can start by identifying your ideal vision for your teams and assess what's stopping your ideal from happening right now. If you're serious, take our top team mistakes to avoid assessment and I'll personally review your results and send you actionable steps you can put into place immediately. There's no charge for you, only the upside of moving your teams to your ideal. I've worked with Marty Mackinson and more than 500 leaders to increase performance, results, and profits during the past 20 years. Do it now. Click the button below to take the assessment. Whether you want feedback from me or not, you'll gain specific intelligence on exactly where to focus your efforts right now to improve the performance within your teams. If you want to learn more about Prosperian Wealth Management and Marty Nackamson, go to prosperianwealth.com. To subscribe to more podcasts like this, visit macaulayandco.com forward slash podcast and sign up. Until next time, Keep leading yourself and your teams to higher levels of success in all areas of your lives.